everybody. There you go. I hear you. Every once in a lifetime, you, you come to a milestone in life. I reached that milestone a long time ago. But we have one in our midst this morning who has reached that milestone, even if not today, the last couple of days. If you will direct your attention to the back corner, as she is now trying to melt into the seat. She's thoroughly embarrassed. And that was the intent, Sierra, okay? That was how did I do, okay? Sierra Alter is 21 today, I believe. Friday, happy birthday. The world trembles in fear. <laughs> yeah. She will be immersed in Mardi Gras. Try this. Try this. Yeah. You can do it now. <laughs> okay. Yes, in moderation. Of course. All things in. <laughs> I'm going to give you just a, a very short blurb before we read our passage this morning, but I, I want you to just kind of begin to get the setting here. We're getting ready to go into a study with Dan, I guess, last week. Um, Brett did a great job with the preparation for this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, if you haven't listened to it, you should. Uh, I think you'll learn an awful lot about the book of Revelation. <clears throat> Revelation is a study that a lot of people that I have talked to, I would say, well, we're getting ready to do a study on the book of Revelation. Really? You're crazy. I'm like, no, 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 no. This is, this is something that we're really looking forward to doing. Uh, it's something that, that few people, including Martin Luther, Martin Luther never wrote a commentary on the book of Revelation because he, he, he didn't know how to approach it. He didn't know how to handle it. And uh, sometimes I think if you don't know how to handle something, you're better off leaving it alone. But anyway, in this particular instance, um, we're going to be looking at uh, chapter 2 this morning, verses 1 through 7. But now I want you to remember one thing, okay? If you don't learn anything else, I want you to learn this one thing. It is revelation singular. It is not revelations. I don't want to hear anybody in this room say, oh, we're studying revelations right now. No, you're not. You're studying the revelation of Jesus Christ. If you say it that way, go ahead and lengthen it out. It, it makes it a lot easier. It keeps you from saying the revelations of Jesus Christ. It is singular only, okay? Please remember that. Uh, it, it's just easier to remember it that way. Now, with that being said, if y'all will stand, we're going to read Revelation 2, 1 through 7. I want you to hear God's word now as he speaks to, to us through John, the disciple. <clears throat> to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. All right, get ready now. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. 
Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. May God be praised for the word that he has given us this morning. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Now, my passage is a little bit different. We're going to be looking at verse 5 more specifically. I, I gave a title to this sermon. I don't normally do that. But the sermon title for this morning is Forgetting to Remember. Sounds kind of like an anomaly, doesn't it? But we'll, we'll get into that a little bit shortly. All right? Let's, uh, before we get started, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this opportunity we have to dig into, to dive into a book that um, few people want to do more than just uh, perhaps maybe gloss over and speculate as to what they think. But Lord, let us look deeply into your word. May we learn from this. May we grow from this. May we never be afraid of a single solitary word in your scriptures. But help us to grow, help us to learn, and help us to understand more fully what you'd have us know before this day's over. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. The letters to the churches begin immediately in chapter 2. The first letter we see is addressed to the church in Ephesus. And we're not going to get into the symbolism much into the angel or who the one who holds the seven stars and seven golden lampstands. But a quick description might could go like this. The angel of each of the churches could get perhaps uh, be the, the, the pastor of that particular congregation. While the one who holds the stars and all is Jesus addressing that pastor. That might be close, but that's as good as I'm going to get. Anyway, verse 2 begins our study this morning. Notice that the one thing that's said in each letter here, especially in this particular chapter in verse 7, he that hath ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In other words, the Holy Spirit is going to guide the church in any age, and we had better be listening. I think the last part of that statement was meant uh, as a promise as well for those who overcome. The first, again, is to the local church. Each church is given a promise uh, as well for those who do overcome whatever problems there may be. This church is the one in Ephesus. Now, let me set the scene just a little bit. <clears throat> Ephesus was big. It was also wealthy. This could have been the, the largest church that was, that was written to in these seven letters. The church here could have been probably 30 to 35 years old, but no older than that. So it was relatively new. Because of the wealth and the pagan worship activities, the Apostle Paul knew that there could be trouble in store for this fledgling church. Notice right off what the writer is saying here. <clears throat> Though Jesus is in heaven and at the right hand of God, he is also in the midst of these churches. Now, this would be individual churches, in my opinion. Denominationalism did not occur at the time of this writing, so I really don't see how there could be any other way than saying it's in, it's in each individual church here, okay? Now, remember this is the area that Paul wrote to Timothy about setting up church officers to create strength within the church. 
And if you'll also remember, this is the place that in 1 Timothy, the Apostle Paul is encouraging his young protege, Timothy, in how to build a structurally strong church. If you have the opportunity, you should read 1 Timothy. I think it'll help give you a little bit better background about the church in Ephesus and what was going on there. If you read 1 Timothy and Ephesians together, you'll even get a better idea of of everything that's going on at this particular time. In fact, I believe this may be a good fundamental system to build a church or a government, whatever might need some system of organization. For example, with a good basis, in this case it's the church, it would be sound doctrine and good leaders at the helm. In the church, in the church's case, if you've got good deacons and particularly good, strong elders, chances of success are very good. While there may have, have been some difficulties in the Ephesian church that they had been for the most part removed. Just a little background here, but that's, that's really about the extent of what's going on here. But let's look a little bit further. The church in Ephesus is commended for its diligence in duty. They were patient in waiting for spiritual fruit to be produced. That's usually the mark of a good, mature church. They tested those who would be leaders or even preachers in the church. They are doing the things that you would expect a good, growing church to be doing. And yet, that didn't seem to be enough. They lost their zeal for what was right. They had grown cold in their love, uh, actually. They had become indifferent, which made it even worse. Maybe they had forgotten why they were fighting the good fight. Perhaps they were too engrossed in, in doing the work of the church to do what was right, with love in their hearts at least anyway. They must regain that zeal that has left them, they're told. But it can be done, the writer is saying. This is not an impossible situation. Not at all. We may show our indifference, we ourselves, through our acts of charity and meekness, lulling ourselves into a sense of false security. We, today, in the church universal and in the church local, we must be careful. Life on earth is going to have its trials and its problems. We know that. We understand that. God hasn't promised a life of peace and tranquility here on earth as Christians. But as the church, we must together get through these difficulties. Eternal reward will surely follow. The Nicolaitans in verse 6 We're going to get that out of the way right quick. These are followers of Nicholas of Antioch. Interestingly enough, this man was one of the original uh, deacons from Acts 6 verse 5. It was written that this man was the forerunner of Hymenaeus and Philetus from 2 Timothy 2. Paul says that they had wandered away from the truth. They subscribed to a, a, a living a life of total freedom to do as you want and worship what and whoever you please. The doctrine was infiltrating the church. They're around today. These same beliefs, these same understandings. Different names, but the same problem, okay? Suffice it to say, Christ hated 
their practices. That's a pretty strong endorsement in my opinion. If Christ hates it, stay away from it, right? Let's look at 3 through 7 for just a minute. I've been all over the map here trying to kind of build a framework for this particular passage. I know your deeds, they're told. Your hard work, your perseverance, he alludes to in verse 3. I know you can't tolerate wicked men. You, you've tested those who are um, say they're apostles and you found out they're not who they say they are. Again, remember the church is, is relatively new here, okay? Christ had not been gone that long. The church was having to kind of feel its way around, but it needed strong leaders throughout. And, and they're being commended here for being so strong. And yet, we know that being human, even the strongest of leaders can have their problems. But he keeps saying, um, you have not, you have persevered. You are bearing up, it says. And you don't grow tired or haven't grown tired of doing right for my sake. Well, that sounds like a pretty good start, doesn't it? Young church like this, 30, 35 years old, and they're being told by Jesus that they're doing everything right. It's a good endorsement, I would think. I can think of many churches that, that would argue, or can't think of many, that would argue with those words being said about them. You're, you're getting the work done. That's a good thing. You'll notice, too, that Jesus seldom begins with a reprimand in these seven letters. If he does, you can pretty well figure out they, from, they are so far off base from the very beginning that there's really not much good to say about them. As my dad used to say, if you can't say anything good about somebody, don't say anything. If we looked at a church like this, the Ephesian church today, we could say perhaps if we just looked at them on the surface that they were pillars of the community, helping those in need. They'd be highly visible in the community, individually and corporately, being involved in much of the activities that a thriving community might be a part of. Understand as well, now, Ephesus at the time of this writing was pretty much a happening place, okay? It was the, the top place in Asia for commerce. Three rivers flowed into it, which made trade easier and much more profitable. It was a beautiful place for beautiful people. So the church could have been highly visible throughout this area. Could have had a, a great reputation for helping what poor people could be found if there were that many there. Maybe connections could be made for churchgoers and, and, uh, and jobs if they were having trouble being gainfully employed here. But with this being a transient area that you might find in a trade community, you will have doctrine, theology, and other concepts pertaining to religion that could be totally foreign to what you would normally teach in church, to what you would normally find in an ARP church 2,000 years ago, let's say. Of course, we know the ARP church didn't exactly... They were the church, but they weren't the church, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Paganism would be easy to worm its way into an area so vast. 
And because of that, it could find its way into the church as it may have done in this particular area. We can't say for sure. Again, there's, there's a lot of flowery words about how good they're doing and how they're avoiding evil in one thing or another. So we don't know for sure that some of this was beginning to worm its way in, as I said. But remember, the church was in a, a place that was a commercial boom town. A large temple to the goddess Diana was built here. In fact, Alexander, it was done in Alexander the Great's time. He built a temple to her that was one of the seven wonders of the world. The church would face many possible circumstances that would make lesser churches preach a gospel that was softer, more palatable to everyone. Paul would call it tickling the itching ears. Yet they stayed true to the cause. They even examined these false teachers and would rid themselves of anyone who was less than 100% accurate. They were staying the course, we might could say. They were studying to stay sharp on what they had been taught. This is ideal, we could think, or we might think ourselves. But there are times when doubt can creep in. We're not sure of what we believe anymore. But it sounds to me like they are continuing, as we said, to fight the good fight. Now, again, we look at a church like that and we might think, right on, we, we, we need to be just like them. We need to be doing the same things. Staying on top of what we know to be true. Granted, we don't live in a teeming metropolis here in Rock Hill, but we live fairly close to one. But yet there is so much to do and so much more that we could do as Hill City Church to be helping the community out, to help improve everyone's life here in Rock Hill and in the surrounding area. It's important that we keep an eye in that direction every day. But let's look at verse 4. <clears throat> yet I hold this against you. Here it comes. The boom is about to be lowered. You have abandoned your first love. That's another, there's another aspect of this that I think bears some discussion this morning. And that's why my translation, I, I kind of lean toward it a little bit more. This is going to be our basic point for the morning. If you'll look at verse 5, the very first word in that, remember. But the next statement in verse 5, first word, repent. Two words I want you to remember this morning from 1 through 7. Remember and repent. Remember where you were, how you were flying high in my eyes when you were doing what you were supposed to do in my name. Get back to that point. Repent of leaving my side and going your own way, doing your own thing for your, for your own sake. And not for mine. If you don't, your value will be of no worth at all. You'll no longer be considered a part of the body of Christ. You will no longer be a church. English Standard says, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. I don't think it can get any more direct than that. It's a pretty hard statement, isn't it? And yet, 
in order to get the attention of a group of people who have gotten off the mark, who think they are doing all of these great things, they're patting themselves on the back, that was exactly what they needed to hear. For they had gotten off the mark. They had forgotten their first love. And we can look at the term first love in a number of different ways. One that I think might help us get a better understanding of this term comes from Jesus Himself. Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40. Jesus was asked by the Pharisees, what's the greatest commandment? Remember what Jesus said? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. This is, he says, he says this, this is the first commandment and the greatest, he says. So an easy way to remember who should be your first love then is by simply stating what the first and greatest commandment is. If you remember that, you're going to stay focused on that, right? Loving your Lord, loving our Lord, should be our first priority. He is or He should be our first love. We might say today that perhaps they began to believe their own press. They were doing good things in the community. They, that, that might have been true. But were they doing them for the right reason? Now, we're reminded in Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10, that we're saved by grace through faith. Nothing that we did, it's a gift from God so that we cannot boast of what we have done. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Paul tells us to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Not for what we think we should do, and certainly not so that we could get credit for it. He set these things for us to do that He might be glorified in them through us. Not because of us. When you love someone in your life, you do everything you can to, to think about them all the time, don't you? You're, you're always trying to show them how much you love them, whether they want to be shown or not. Guys, probably embarrass your ladies, I would imagine, just especially when you're young and in love. And you, just, you do all kinds of goofy things. When you get older like me, you look back and it's like, did I really do that? <laughs> anyway, she didn't leave. You so say, you must have done something right, right? <laughs> you, you think about them. You, you want to be near them all the time. Well, this is how we should be with our Lord Jesus. When, you, when you're in love with Jesus, you want to serve Him. You want to love Him by loving and serving others. You want to read more about Him. Learn more about Him. But when that desire to make and keep Jesus first in your life wanes, when it starts fading away, church perhaps becomes more of a ritual than a joy. You can, either think, of, you can think of other places to go and things to do than not being able to wait to get here. Maybe the Bible you were reading every day gets put off to the side until you notice one day that there's a layer of dust there that hadn't been there before. Maybe prayer becomes something of a necessity, perhaps maybe even just a, a, a hassle that you have to do to be able, instead of looking at it as a real opportunity to get away from the world for a while and talk to your Heavenly Father about your problems, about your day, about your joys. 
Maybe now talking to folks about Jesus is more of an embarrassment or merely a subject to just not even bring up. Maybe we're more interested in doing things for the church to be seen, to be noticed. I kind of think that that's maybe where the church in Ephesus had gone. I don't believe it was intentional, not by any stretch of the imagination. It certainly wasn't meant in a spiteful way or anything like that. They were doing things reasonably well. They had just lost sight of who they were doing these things for. We could use a number of examples, but I think you all get the picture here, okay? Another passage in Matthew, chapter 24, verses 12 and 13. It offers us a sobering, yet I believe an encouraging thought. Jesus was speaking to you and to me when he says that because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end, remember these three words, will be saved. That means by maintaining our focus, by keeping our thoughts on the cross, we will not forsake our first love. Now, you could, you could extend this, this thinking, okay? You could extend it to your family, to your church, to your country, whatever subject that needs your attention like that. That's a tried and true method. Now, are we going to maintain 100% focus? Are we going to be able to not stray, not even the least little bit in our thoughts, in our actions, or, or toward each other, or maybe toward our Lord? Another passage for you. Romans 3.23 says it all. For we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. What do we need to do? We need to remember and we need to repent. Now, we can remember and repent in a number of different ways in life, can't we? We can make somebody mad when we joke with them and they take it serious. Have you ever done that? You remember the wonderful relationship you had with the, in times past with this particular person. When you find out that you have angered them, for whatever reason, you may not even know it at the time. What do you do? You go to them. You ask for forgiveness and you make it a point to never do that or say that type of thing to that particular person ever again. You have a contrite heart. You, you offer that olive branch of the statement that I have wronged you and I would really like to continue this relationship with you. So can you please forgive me for my wrongdoing? Furthermore, if there is any way possible... Can you also maybe forget the transgression against you that ever happened? That's in essence what we do when we seek forgiveness and desire to continue a personal relationship with someone else. We can remember and repent many times over, sometimes many times in a day with folks. And, but also know this, because you do that, because you ask for, you remember what you've done and you ask for repentance from someone, that does not have anything to do with your spiritual life whatsoever. Okay? That's day-to-day -day relationships. That's personal relationships with people. But if, if we have forgotten to remember Jesus, we have got to stop what we're doing. Our conscience through the Holy Spirit will or should prick our hearts. 
So if we forget our first love, how do we find it? How do we refind it? Revelation 2 5 again expands on the thought of remembering. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Go back to that point that you began to stray. Go back even further to the point where you fell in love with Jesus Christ to begin with. If you lose your sunglasses or lose your keys, what do you do? After you get over the panic attack, you attempt to retrace your steps to where you remember having had that item last. It's the same way with Jesus. There's usually a place that stands out in our mind that we did something or we said something to someone that we knew was different than it was before. Our thought process was different. Maybe it was a time we realized that we, we knew better than to do or think like we did. And it, and it comes to us. And if you can't find where you lost your first love, I can tell you a good place to start looking again. If you've angered someone in your family, you go back to that person, don't you? If it's something that's caused you to miss a few weeks in church, what should you do? Well, duh, get back to church, right? If you quit reading and studying your Bible, Terry got on me, this, on me about this the other day. We were at her house and she was talking. She said, one thing you haven't been doing recently. I'm like, yeah, what's that? She said, you will preach reading your Bible. But if they don't study it, it doesn't mean a thing. That's a great point. So I'm going to try from now on. Wish she was here this morning to give her the credit for that. But when I say read, understand if I don't say it, it means read and study your Bible, okay? But if you don't get to that point, you may find your heart kind of roaming and wandering in a worldly way. If it comes to that point, you better hit the book. Not the books, but the book. You start your reading and your studying all over again. Remember and repent. Remember your first love and, and turn back to Him. Remember your dream or your desire to live for Jesus Christ and turn completely away from the world. That's what repentance means. It means turning away, making a 180 degree turn away from whatever you were going to to begin with. Three things will help you keep your focus. Three things that I think will help you to remember the height from which you may have fallen if that has happened. Prayer, fellowship, and Bible study. If you've got a broken relationship within your family or a broken friendship, uh, perhaps your relationship with Christ has been torn, remember Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you who are weary and laden, and I will give you rest. You see, when we come back to Jesus... He is there ready to offer you renewal and refreshment. If you, were, if you were to look at Ephesus today, you're not going to find a thriving church. You won't find any kind of commerce going on. You won't even find much of the Temple of Diana, which again, at one time, was one of the seven wonders of the world. What you will find there? Remnants of things here and there. If you look at the other six letters to the churches in Revelation 2 and 3, you will find several of the towns still thriving. A ghost town of sorts 
leaves only traces of what once was strong. Like a ghost town, if you are not filled with the Spirit of God, Satan will come in. If your life is not filled with your first love, Jesus Christ, you're going to be filled with something else. And that something else will be death and decay. John 10.10 is where Jesus tells us, I have come that they, meaning you and me, may have life and have it more abundantly. That's God's invitation to us. Perhaps maybe for the first time. Maybe this is a time to come back to Him. Or or maybe this is the place, the height of where your faith once was. And you remember. This morning, you remember where you were at one time with your Lord. That height of your first love. Remember and repent. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Um, It is hard at times to stay on track. Oh, it's so easy to get off track, but yet Satan makes things attractive for us, gives us issues that that make us think in in directions that we shouldn't. But Lord, let us turn our, our eyes, our faith, our hearts back to you. Remember that height of the faith, the love that we had for you at one time. And strive to get back to that point once more. Bless us to that end. Even today, we ask you in Jesus' name. Amen.